Welcome to Footloose, the podcast where we chat with people living unconventional and nomadic lifestyles. I'm your host, Tim Bull, and I hope you'll join me as we hear stories from travellers from around the world. It was probably November last year when Karina and I pulled into Milos on our boat Matilda, and we were there because there were going to be some particularly large winds, and we needed a good port to shelter from. We obviously weren't the only ones with that that same good idea. Uh, but when we went to bed, it was dark, um, and there was only a couple of other boats there. And we woke up the next morning, and sitting opposite us was a, to us, very small sailing boat, maybe seven metres long, 20, 24 feet. And there was a young German man there named Philip, uh, and I invited Philip to come and talk to us about his adventures sailing around the Mediterranean. Philip, thanks for thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thank you for letting me join. Start by telling us just a little bit about your boat. Uh, what's she called, and how did that come about? Um, so the boat I bought in February of 2020 um, in the middle of Bavaria, and the previous owner wanted to restore it and um, started, they took everything apart and lost interest. And so I got the boat very cheap and fixed it up during school. Okay, so this was whilst you were at high school still in your final? Yeah, at high school, 11th and 12th grade. So the last two years of high school. Um, And when you say you fixed it up, was this, what was involved in that? Like how much work was there? Um, it really was a lot of work. I, I basically had the bare hull and um, the bulkheads, for example, were still in, the pantry was in, but everything that was not really fixed to the hull, um, the previous owner took apart and he just took all the bolts and threw them into a single bucket. And um, <laughs> the parts weren't labeled. I didn't have photos of how the boat looked previously. So it was, um, yeah, I, a gigantic puzzle. And I really spent about one and a half years um, to fix it up. So and you, think, so you were, you must have been about, what, 17 or 18 at that stage? Yeah, um, I started looking for boats when I was 17. And um, I found this boat that I bought a couple of months uh, after I turned 18, yeah. And and so, you know, probably fair to say not a huge amount of experience in restoring boats at that age. This is something, where did you get the skill for this? How did you, how did you learn what to do? Yeah, so I've, I've always um, worked with my hands. Um, I know how to fix uh, things around the house. Um, I had working on the car, um, when I was a kid, I uh, built a lot of things with wood, some pellets and whatever I got. And um, I just got the boat. I knew there's nothing major I need to fix. It's just more of a thing, t- uh, putting it all back together um, and doing uh, new electricity in the boat. Um, and I knew I had people who can help me with mm-hmm. maybe different skills. Um, but most of it, I just taught myself. I, my, the first time, for example, I was laminating, I had no idea basically what I was doing. I just got some uh, fiberglass, some epoxy, mixed it together, and 
yeah, it worked. So <laughs> kept doing it. Excellent. And um, when you bought the boat, you, you had been sailing for some time, right? Because it wasn't your first experience sailing. You did have some skill sailing a boat. Yeah, I started sailing when I was 10 years old, just after fourth grade. And um, I basically got straight into racing. So I started in Optimist sailing, um, mm -hmm. like it's basically a bathtub yes. with a small <laughs> sail. And um, <clears throat> then after I think four years, I um, went into 420 class. So it's a proper racing class. Um, you can get some very good speeds on those. Yep. And um, I was yeah, starting to go on bigger races. Um, I wanted to do Bavarian Championship, um, German Championship, but it didn't work out in the end, unfortunately. But um, nevertheless, I got around with it. So sailing knowledge is there, but yep. not the yachting knowledge. Fair enough. Yeah, very different on a, on a racing boat. Um, those 420s don't have toilets aboard, for example, the, um, oh. or, or kitchens. So... When you bought the boat, you clearly, you know, I, I know this from our past conversations, you, you had a goal in mind. What was that yeah. goal? So um, the goal was I wanted to sail to Rhodes. Um, reason to be, or for going to Rhodes was um, we have friends in Rhodes mm -hmm. and he's working there as a skipper professionally for 40 years now, I think. And um Therefore, I have a place where I can store the boat for the winter or however long I need. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it's sort of familiar waters. Okay. And so the boat was, um, you, you eventually, after that year and a half, you got the boat back. It was ship shape. And then you put it on a trailer and you took it down to was it Italy, I believe. Uh, no, I, I wanted to put it to Italy, but because of COVID, um, that didn't work out. So I um, started in Slovenia, but okay. um, I basically just put the boat in and went straight over to Italy to Grado. Okay. And so that was your, was that the first time sailing the boat after you'd repaired it all? Was when it went into the Mediterranean or you'd practiced on lakes around Bavaria? Yeah. So um, I have a... Uh, or I'm in a sailing club near Regensburg in Germany, um, in Bavaria. And there's a small lake where my sailing club is. Mm -hmm. And they have a crane. So I was able to put the boat in. And when it was um, ready to float again. And um, when the boat was there, I rigged it up, started sailing. Um, yeah, There's not a lot of wind. There's no wave. Yeah. So nothing dangerous where I could uh, do any harm to the boat. When you say it's not a very big lake, how long would it take to sort of sail across? Maybe 20 minutes. Like it's, okay. it's 1.5 kilometers long, right. roughly. So big, big difference from a 1.5 kilometer lake with no waves, very little wind, and then yeah. dropping into uh, the, the sea around Slovenia. Uh, so yeah, tell me about that moment. Like, must have been pretty exciting. The culmination of some very hard work over quite a period of time. Yeah. So the first time um, putting in putting it in the water in um, Bavaria, still, um, I was really scared by from lifting the boat. Mm -hmm. So that that was really my main concern. 
um, that the uh, loops would just slip off and the boat would crash down. Yep. But it worked out. And um, when I got all the rigging up and um, said for the first time, that it was really, yeah, a, a reward for all the work. And then in Slovenia again, Big, just good moment. A bit more exciting. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, your parents, uh, how do they? How did they sort of feel about this this plan for you to sail solo around the Mediterranean or across the Mediterranean? Well, they of course were both uh, worried, but my mother a bit more than my father. Um, eventually, they realized. I think that. It's not too bad. Um, we call, uh, yeah, we talked on the phone every couple of days, and yeah, they liked the idea mm -hmm. um, because they, when they were my age, didn't really have the option to do a thing like that. Yep. Um, so yeah, they really liked it in, in the end. Yep. And so solo sailing, right? It's very different from the sort of cruising that, well, for a start, Karina and I have a motorboat, but also very different from, from sailing with, with a team of people, right? Like you're responsible for everything. You have to be on watch all the time. So, you know, how do you go about preparing for that? What, is, what sort of things are you thinking about when you're planning a passage from like when you were leaving from Slovenia, for example, what did you immediately set out overnight or you decided to just do small hops of a few hours a day? What was your thinking there? Yeah, so um, in the beginning, I didn't sail solo. My father um, was sailing with me for okay. the first uh, week, roughly. Yep. Um, and then I dropped him off in Italy because he went on holidays there. But um, I, I'm not really planning too much ahead. I take my Navionics charts and I know where I am. Mm -hmm. I take a look at where I want to go. Um, to, I look for some other options if the first one or the main thing where I want to go doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just go. Um, it's no real planning. Um, the first, I think, 500 miles um, I sailed, I just sailed um, during the daytimes. Mm -hmm. And then when I felt like really comfortable enough um, doing it alone for like 40, 50 mile passages during the day, I um, went on my first night passage. What was that like? I remember my first night passage on our boat and uh, we have a little bit more equipment aboard than you do. And it yeah. can be scary. I mean, it's pitch black out there. Yeah. So it was still in Italy. So there was, yeah. Well, lights along the coast, okay. so you really knew where the coast is. Yeah, but there are a lot of um, marine farms, and they aren't lit. Um. So that's you, you got to really take care of your charts, um, mm -hmm. so you don't run into those. Um, and there were a lot of fishing boats, so the wind conditions were really perfect. Um, no problem with the autopilot, mm -hmm. just putting it in and letting it go. But at night, I had a whole lot of fishing boats and some unlit, as you know it. Yep. Um, and sometimes you really go like, or two two hundred meters uh, distance from uh, from a fishing boat, mm -hmm. and you can barely make it out. 
Yeah. So, and, and can why be... why start sailing at night? Just because you had to make up time, or was there particular reasons for traveling at night for you? Yeah. So that day, I was thinking about I could either um, do a small trip of like just fifteen miles, and mm -hmm. then there wouldn't be any port where I could go into for the next fifty. So um, I decided to just go the whole way um, because there was no, not a lot of wind um, forecasted. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it's just perfect conditions for, for trying it. Excellent. And then you crossed from Italy uh, into Greece. Uh, is that right? So you came across into yeah. Greece. Um, what, was, what was that like? I, I know... You know, I think in, in my mind, it feels like you're, you're crossing into a different country and it's a big deal, but this is within the EU. So presumably there wasn't a lot of anything you really had to do. No, um, I sailed from Otranto in Italy to um, Corfu. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just w uh, wanted to go to in Otranto. In Otranto, they didn't let me into the port. And so, well... Um, and as a U.S. citizen, I did not have to check out, of course. Mm -hmm. So I just uh, hoisted the anchor up and went. And um, it was dead calm, like no wind the entire passage. <laughs> it was just motoring. And um, when I arrived in Corfu, like on the last 15 miles, the wind started to set in and um, had some good sailing conditions in the end and then just went into the marina marina in Corfu. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, no, and, no uh, paperwork for me. No, that's good. And when you so say... Really relaxing. Yeah, when you say motoring, uh, this doesn't have an inboard diesel engine. You have a, a petrol-powered outboard motor, right? How, how powerful? It's yeah. a seven and a half horsepower, is that right? It's a eight horsepower engine. Um, but it is a high thrust uh, model, so it's specifically built for sailboats or heavy boats. Yeah. And and you've travelled on that. I know you've travelled on that for a long time. So you, I know that you did. I think the passage to Milos you said was what twenty hours, of which most of that was with the yep. outboard. Twenty hours, just motoring, no wind at all. Um, and but it's very fuel um, efficient so i need like one liter of petrol uh, an hour and i'm doing four to four and a half knots motoring mm. and and when you're doing a passage like that to to milos a 20-hour passage solo sailing uh, you really are i'm not sure people would be familiar with greece you came from was it monomvasia did you cross from yeah yeah, yeah, so Monombasia across to Milos. That's that's open open sea at that point. You really, yeah. I guess during the day you might just be within sight of land, maybe, but you you're pretty. And I think there are parts of it where you wouldn't be. You'd be quite remote across that part of the sea. Um, yeah. How did you sort of plan that passage? You had to stay awake the whole twenty hours. Um, yeah, I really had to stay awake because it was foggy that day. So I had oh, what, like right. one mile, time. one mile visibility. So I really, really was up all the time. Um, but in the afternoon, um, the fog lifted and um, visibility was good. But then, of course, it got dark pretty quick. 
and um, previously I had um, like put some points in my chart. Um, I needed to, yeah, or I, I went to to go into Milos safely mm -hmm. to the inside because it's like I think a sunken volcano. Yes, that's right. And um, I basically had my phone out in the cockpit when I went in and just basically followed the GPS and oriented on some lights from the island. Yeah, because it is, it is for people not familiar with Milos, as Philip says, it is a, an old volcano, caldera of a volcano, which one side's collapsed and the water's come in, um, similar in some ways to Santorini, which people would be perhaps more familiar with. And there is really, from memory, only one small village along the left on the way in, and the rest of it is very dark until you get kind of around yeah. the point and you see the main port town. So I think it's hard to appreciate, unless you've been out on the sea at night, and particularly around some of these islands, just how dark it can be. You can't make out the land on the horizon. Uh, even when it's no. quite close, it's just pitch black. So you really are relying on um, your charts and, and your, your positioning to make sure that you're not hitting anything. Um, I, I mean, another thing that, that I've found when I was at night as well is that um, the even when you see lights, the lights can be very deceiving. You think that, you know, you think that this thing is either much closer to you than it actually is. I remember yeah. coming past... Um, some lights from a village that were kind of on a obviously on the hill of an island and then there were some down the bottom of the island and this was 20 mm -hmm. nautical miles away but i was convinced that i was going to hit some fishing nets in the water that were only 200 yeah. meters it, it was just bizarre and then eventually i kind of worked it out and i was kind of my brain sort of tweaked or flipped and all of a sudden it's oh no actually that's a long way away but at night they can feel really close yeah, at night, like you don't really have a feeling for the distances or um, the size of things. And I really realized that, especially in Milos, because you have like this entrance to the inner part of the island. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember going in and then having to turn left. And I, I didn't really look at on the chart in terms of how far it is. But it, it felt like almost a mile. But then I woke up in the morning and I looked at it and I thought, maybe that's like 300 meters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it wasn't actually that far. Yeah, no, it, it really wasn't. But um, yeah, that just shows you how you yeah, misinterpret the distances. Yep. And so when you pulled into port, um, did you... I know we socialized on Milos, but as a general rule, we, you know, did you socialize with other sailors? Did you get to chat to people? Uh, yeah, I did a lot of that in Greece. In Italy, I just met I think maybe five other boats mm -hmm. I really had contact to um, because there, in terms of cruising, there isn't a lot going on. And I remember most days out on the water, I was the only, the only sailboat in sight. Oh, wow. Is that because so, of COVID, do you think? Or is I've heard that it's quite expensive along that coast as well. So maybe that's... No, uh, that's not the case, actually. It's a lot cheaper than going down Croatia, for example. Okay. And you have 
for the most part, like every 20 to 40 miles along the coast, you have a marina or uh, another port. Um, but it's not really a place where you charter boats. Okay. It's usually Italians that have their own boats there or a couple of cruisers who get there. But for the most part, in terms of sailing, it's not really yeah, known. Sounds, sounds like the sort of neighborhood I'd like to visit, actually. <laughs> I much yep. prefer these. It, it was really nice, yeah. And for the most part, you can drop like your anchor two, two three, four miles off the coast. Oh, because wow. you still have like 20 meters or 15 meters of depth. Yep. Um, so that's also, yeah, it can get a bit wavy out there but yep. um isn't really the case for most of the time that's that's very different from greece where it's sort of you know 10 meters off the coast it can be 50 meters deep <laughs> just go straight down yeah um, a lot more volcanic. It, uh, yeah it changed uh when i went to greece pretty quickly so i pulled into um Corfu, the marina and i i had tied up and half an hour later a couple walked by oh hi and where are you from and we chatted for an half an hour and they went uh, get some food i uh, did the same i came back and the next one came here came to my boat oh you're sailing on that small boat and the next day another couple came and yeah it was just sort of strange because i didn't know it from italy mm -hmm. and from chartering you don't really know it as well um, i haven't done chartering too often um, but when we did it um, it wasn't really a thing yeah yeah and no, I, I think um, for people listening often when people are chartering boats they're with a group of friends and so tend to be a little more insular like within the boat they've got their network of yeah. friends there with them they're only there for a week uh, but liverboard cruisers do tend to be very social you know you're on your boat all the time with perhaps you and one other person so anybody new particularly if they have their boat and particularly if they've got an interesting boat like phillips is definitely fair game to go and have a chat to so you mentioned that people comment on your boat and i did say it was fairly small um just give us a little bit more about it's a danish boat it's 1971 or 72 i think is that right so just tell us about the boat and um, the size yeah um, so the boat is 24 feet in length. Mm -hmm. um, it's 2.3 meters wide, and I have a draft of 1.3 meters. And it's a uh, Danish build. It's from 1973. Okay. And um, it's really designed for sailing in the North Sea. And you really feel that, um, first of all, in the weight of the boat. So I have 1.1 tons in the keel. And um, I have a total weight of 2.5 to 2.7 tons, mm -hmm. roughly. Yep. Um, so it really feels like a 30-foot yacht when you step on it. Yep. And um, I know a lot of people who have boats the same size, but the, the entire boat ready to sail weighs less than my keel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, so, and the boat... So is... for people to get a feeling for it, yeah. Yeah, and the boat is, um, it's not, it's not, let's not call it small. It's perfectly suited for one person single handing it. But yeah. 
the reason that people comment on it is it is small compared to most charter boats, right? Like you wouldn't see, I would say in Greece, you rarely see a boat or a sailing boat less than 30 feet. Um, yeah. Rarely. And, and most of the charter boats are actually sort of 40 to 50. So they're more than double the length of, of, yeah. of your boat. Of my boat. Which is why I think that people, you know, do tend to remark on that because they're, they don't expect that you can do that. Of course you can, you know, like you can have boats like Phillips that are set up for uh, sailing, even even small boats that are set up for, you know, blue water conditions. It's not, it's just yeah. a matter of the design of the boat and the facility and the weight, as you say. Yeah, I think if you really wanted to, you could sail that boat across the Atlantic without any problems. And um, I've experienced some pretty strong winds along the way. Um, the first time was in Italy uh, mm -hmm. when I went around Ancona and there we had I think four meter waves probably and um, it was yeah rough sailing but the boat didn't really tend to um, turn uh, when it went down the wave so mm -hmm. like, um, I don't really know the exact word for it but um, when you go down, your bow yep. pushes into the wave, and your your stern tends to overtake your bow. Yep. Yep. So you start rolling, um, but that never really did any signs of danger for that happening. Um, and as it's a fairly heavy boat, my speed is usually not really above five knots. Mm -hmm. But that day, I did ten and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that's a trade-off right it um, was yeah some really rough conditions and but, but I mean, nothing you, you did bad. you definitely um you definitely had safety in mind right like i know that obviously yeah. sometimes conditions are unavoidable but uh, you were in milos specifically to avoid those meltemi the big winds coming in yeah and you know, i know that you spent a, a few days there so what um we'll come back to the we'll come back to Milos and the sailing journey and and what happened after in a minute. But give me a little bit now about the the plan because I know that this is you said you had a plan which is to go and sail a, the Mediterranean to Rhodes and you did that. But that's not the whole plan, is it? You you've definitely got a a goal in mind and and your life is not finished with this boat, has it? No, um, it's basically just starting for me or me trying to see if I really like the, the cruising lifestyle. And um, it was a bit strange in the beginning, but um, the further I went, the more I really enjoyed it, especially when I went to Greece, um, meeting people in basically every port I went to. And um, I still am in contact with, I think like 10, 15 people. And that's just really been, yeah, it, an interesting experience and I definitely want to keep going and my plans for the future are like now I'm doing my practical um, semesters on cargo ships later on I'm going to go to a University of Applied Sciences so that's basically or they have um, what's in most countries a maritime academy mm -hmm. so I'm going to do my patents um, certifications and um, after that, I'm going to work on yeah offshore cargo vessels for a few years. 
and then I want to go and circumnavigate the globe. Are you, are you planning to circumnavigate to in, in this boat or a different one? In a different boat. So I want to upgrade maybe in the next two, three years. Yep. And um, I don't really want to go the classic route where you go down to the Caribbean uh, through the Panama Canal and um, so on. I really want to go like around Cape Horn and um, maybe if I got a steel boat or an aluminium, aluminium boat, mm -hmm. I really would like to go down to Antarctica as well. Um, definitely not in the beginning, but uh, maybe on my way back, um, there would be a thing I really would love to do. And uh, plans, is that a trip that you're planning at the moment that you do solo or you hope to have other crew members with you for that or you'll just wait and see yes i um i'm gonna definitely sail a few um parts solo but um, for the most part i would really, really enjoy having people on board um and it's like i sort of want to show people as well that you can do some, uh, something different than just go to school after school, go to university, get a job. When you're 67, like in Germany, uh, you can go retire and uh, yeah, with 70, almost 70 years of age, I would not want to sail around the world. Yep. Or if I would do it, definitely not in a small boat or not so luxurious boat. No, very, very understandable and, and very admirable goal. The uh, And it's not the end for this boat either. Are, are you still planning to live aboard whilst you're at university? That's still the, the goal, to bring the boat up to Germany yeah. and live aboard in Hamburg? Yeah, that's still my plan. Um, I'm going like now on my first six months at sea. Mm -hmm. And after those, I will um, go to Greece, sail the boat uh, back up to Italy and uh, bring it here to Germany and then I, when I have my um, second part of um, sea time I will um, bring the boat up um, to Flensburg um, it's about a hundred kilometers north of um, Hamburg mm -hmm. and um, gonna put it in the water there and live aboard the boat well oh, definitely have to make some modifications yeah um, install a diesel heater and some insulation yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I've, I've met people who live there on 22 foot boats. So it's definitely possible. You have a little bit more room then. At the, yeah. You'd be well set up. Um, okay, so going back to Milos, uh, Milos was actually a lot of fun. It was definitely one of the highlights of, of our time uh, in that part of, of Greece um, because it was the end of the season. There's not a lot of stuff open. There really wasn't many boats there. There was just, I think it was just four or five of us, a kind of an eclectic yeah, group five. of liverboard sailors. Yourself, um, Klim, who was Russian, a year younger than you, also solo sailing in the Mediterranean yeah. in a boat which, I'm going to be honest, was a lot less prepared than yours. <laughs> uh, but you know, yeah, it's proof um, that you can get out there and do it. Yeah, you can do it. You can do it uh, with very little money. Yep. Um, and then uh, Mark so and Tina with their boat, uh, thinking of Dave, uh, uh, you know, very experienced people yeah. um, have circumnavigated uh, a bigger, I think, 50-foot Beneteau. And then, um, I can't remember his name, not 
not another Philip. It started with a P. Anyway, had a, a beautiful wooden boat that yeah. had maintaining in Turkey. Uh, <laughs> and we had a lot of fun. And one of the things that, that happened whilst we were there for, for several nights was um, that we would gather on one of the boats and, and you know, have a drink and tell stories. And, and that was a lot of fun. But yeah. to, I do recall we managed to fit, I think it was seven or eight people aboard. Seven people. So, yeah, I mean, just to give people some perspective, I will, it was it was cozy. <laughs> it yeah, was very definitely. cozy, but you know, you uh, can fit seven people uh, inside the cabin too, because it was, it was pretty yeah. cold outside and certainly not pleasant to sit outside. No, um, that was also for me, one of the best times I had um, because it was like the first experience where I had met like more than just one other crew. And um I, I remember I woke up in the morning, I think I went getting groceries and when I went back, I met you mm -hmm. and um, if we were talking for like two or three minutes and then you already said, yeah, you want to come to our boat this evening and um, we didn't even know each other's names uh, at that point and that was for me one of those moments, uh, wait, that's like totally strange for me um, because I didn't know that before you haven't met many australians i've met some other no <laughs> we're not very Probably reserved we're not very reserved um okay and so, so from milos after the the weather lifted you then headed to Rhodes, and you had a couple of big passages there too i believe yeah um i basically went straight across uh the mediterranean uh, the mediterranean yeah. yeah and um my first stop was on eos and I stayed there a couple of days. I wanted to go up to Naxos, but that didn't work out because the of the winds wind. were quite strong, I think, coming down. Yeah. yeah, so I went back to Eos and stayed there until the weather got better. And then I went over to Asipalia, um, met another German couple there, um, very nice people, mm -hmm. and um, did a few trips with them. And then I went on to Kos, the island of Kos. And I wanted to rent a car or a bicycle, but there wasn't any left or most um, rentals were closed for the winter. Mm -hmm. So I went by foot and on one day, I think it walked 36 kilometers around half the island. Yep. <laughs> and I really went straight across. Um, for some part, there wasn't even like a way we matched telling me, yeah, just go over there. And it was just a field. And I ended up in a, in a herd of like sheep and goats and whatever uh, in the middle of these uh, small mountains. And it was really, yeah, nice. It's, it's different from what you see in these touristy um, places. Yep. But um, yeah. You get more exercise, right? Like when you, you're working, sorry, you're working, you're walking 36 kilometers in a day. You know, one, yeah. thing, one thing cruisers often complain about is that you don't get a lot of exercise on boats. Clearly, this is not a problem for you. Um, no, it's, 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 it's true that you can't really work out on the boat, especially my size. I barely have like a place where I could do like push-ups or anything. Um, but... If you really want to exercise, you got to get off the boat, uh, walk on land, uh, do some running or 
rent a bicycle or do whatever. And um, yeah, I really realized when I walked those 36 kilometers that I'm pretty much out of shape. <laughs> and, um, yeah, when I came back to Germany, I had to do a lot of training to get back on my usual level. And so you got to Rhodes, you pulled the boat out of the water. Uh, was there anything that surprised you? You know, it had been in the water then for what two or three months. You've done a lot of sailing. Were you happy with how it held up? Were there any problems or anything that surprised you? Yeah, I had a couple of problems. Um, two, two of my uh, windows weren't really sealed. Mm. They were dripping when it was raining, um, but not too bad. But um, I had the boat in the water for roughly four and a half months. Okay. Yep. And when I pulled it out, there was a lot of growth on the bottom and um the anti-fouling yeah when the guy with the pressure washer came there was no anti-fouling left <laughs> next time i'm definitely gonna take another type of anti-fouling but this one was really not great and i went in the water twice to clean the bottom mm -hmm. before and it still had a lot of growth so that was really a Thing that annoyed me a bit because it really took off my speed yep. if you're already usually not going faster than four knots doing three and a half can get really annoying <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair you know i think for the first time for the boat into the water with you after the rebuild a fairly you know challenging crossing i mean it's not nothing there were some big winds and there's a lot of you know, there was a lot of sea miles under the belt. It sounds like it held up pretty well. You must have been very happy with that. Yeah, um, so nothing really broke. Um, I lost a few parts, some blocks and um, some other things. But um, mainly I did a bunch of upgrades. So I bought some more chain. Um, I've learned that my anchor is really not made, at least not for the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm because I had some occasions where I was anchored in five meters of water with 30 meters of chain, yep. an eight kilogram anchor, and, and I was dragging the anchor. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's really not fun. If uh, you have to go up at three in the morning and reset the anchor yep. uh, on your own. And I also don't have an anchor winch. So I'm standing up there with my gloves and pulling the 30 meters of chain up by hand so you do get some. Um, so I'm yeah, so I'm <laughs> definitely gonna um, upgrade the anchor, um, and I've also learned how to dig the anchor in with the outboard. Yeah, was uh, the first times when I tried that, that was really um, hard to do. Mm -hmm. And so, um, looking back on the journey, then any kind of regrets i mean it sounds overall it was an amazing experience but anything that you wish you'd done differently or thought i should have i really should have done that um not really so it was of course a good learning experience and i paid some good learning money yes um and on a couple of, uh, of occasions for example i bought myself an inverter yep um and the first time i plugged it in I fried the thing. Oh, no. 
<laughs> because I uh, put it on the wrong connections. But yeah, learning money. Um, but yeah, I've I stayed in Pilos for four weeks, and um, because of the weather, and I wanted to do some things on the boat. Mm -hmm. And then it started raining, I think five days in a row. And mm -hmm. then I just decided to leave the boat there. And I went um, to Rhodes on a ferry and um, did a delivery with a German crew um, from Rhodes to Athens. So I think that was one of the best things I did because otherwise I would really have been stuck in Pilos. Yep. Um, and it was, Pilos is nice for a couple of days, but after three, four days, you really have seen the whole city and <laughs> yeah. everything around it. <laughs> um, yeah, a delivery crew would have been fun too. I imagine after a lot of solo sailing, sailing with two or three other people would be a refreshing change. Yeah, that, that's really different, especially when you're used to sailing on your own and suddenly, suddenly you have crew. So you don't have to do everything by yourself. Um, you don't have to cook for yourself all day. Um, and it's, yeah, really... A totally different experience very cool cool and then so you've ended up now back in germany um so yeah i guess kind of bringing this to a close then you're 20 you're 20 years old you've sailed solo through the med through at least part of the mediterranean um i really loved what you said about you know encouraging people to think about alternative alternative careers right like the you don't yeah. have to just go from school to university. I mean, if someone was listening to this and they're thinking, you know, could I do this or should I do this? What's your kind of, what's your sort of advice or your thoughts for people? Um, I think you should go and try something strange, I would call it. Um, something not everyone is doing. Um, if you want to go backpacking in Australia, do that. If you want to I've uh, met people, they went on a bike across uh, Eastern Europe um, after they finished school. Um, it's basically, it doesn't really matter what you do, what, what you do. Um, but I would definitely say you should do something you're interested in and do it for a couple of months, not just like for two weeks. I would really say do it for three, four months at least, and uh, see if you like it. And also, if you don't like it, um, maybe try uh, something different. And I also realized for myself, like half of the time sailing alone or also with crew can really be annoying and uh, stressful and everything, but there are always those other um, 10, 20, 30%, which are just totally awesome. And you don't really have this experience in normal everyday life. It's, it's very true. I've heard people say that, uh, you know, living aboard is full of some terrible moments, but it makes you really appreciate the highs that you, unless you put yourself out yeah. there, you're not going to, you're not going to sort of experience those exceptional moments as well. No, uh, so basically learning to appreciate like small things, whatever it is. That's my, yeah. Goal. That sounds like great advice. Philip, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure to catch up with you and talk to you about it again. Uh, 
yeah, I wish you well with your studies and good luck with the, the six months aboard sailing. Yeah, thank you. And uh, thanks for letting me join in. I appreciate it. Thanks, Philip. Thanks for listening to this episode of Footloose. Feedback is always welcome at Timbull on Twitter. That's T-I-M-B-U-L-L. Catch you next time. Thank you.